0: The following program is made possible by the friends and partners of Creation Today and by viewers like you. Thank you.
1: Are there inconsistencies, contradictions, errors in the Bible?
0: Would that make the Bible unreliable? Guest Jay Warner Wallace will answer that question today.
1: He's a cold case homicide detective who was an atheist until he turned his detective skills on the scriptures.
0: We'll also see how cute little bunnies fit into this topic.
1: Cute little bunnies, seriously? Yes! There's a war going on in our world against Christianity.
0: Are you ready to defend your faith in Christ?
2: The Creation Today Show provides you with the ammunition you need. We prepare you to defend your faith, arm your children, and raise up a family who knows the Creator, Jesus Christ. This season we're teaching you Battleship Apologetics. Science. History. Individual Experience. Philosophy. Battleship Apologetics.
0: Critics of the Bible claim that the Biblical texts have thousands of discrepancies and contradictions. And such so-called errors prove that the Bible is unreliable and a product of man.
1: Now this topic has literally been a stumbling block for a lot of different people. Uh, It led one of the best known textual critics of our time to abandon his faith, Bart Ehrman. Abandoned his faith and now for him these errors are literally insurmountable obstacles to Christianity.
0: As a young man, he was fascinated by the many original manuscripts of the New Testament. Did you know that the manuscripts containing parts of the New Testament have been preserved more than any other ancient manuscript? Wow! Over 24,000 partial and complete New Testament manuscripts.
1: That is amazing. That's a lot. But when Bart Ehrman began to study these and compare the copies, he found that there were slight variations, Uh, a word different here and there, a verse added or a verse omitted. Uh, He even says there's a difference in the different gospel accounts. Now, imagine you're Bart Ehrman and you're studying these manuscripts. What would be your reaction? How would you respond to this, to these findings? Well, here's what Bart Ehrman says now.
3: Simply read Mark's account of Jesus' death and then read John's account of Jesus' death and make a list of everything that happens in both and compare your lists. You will find that there are stunning differences. In fact, there are discrepancies. What about differences in the accounts of his resurrection? Well, who went to the tomb on the third day? Did Mary Magdalene go alone or did Mary go with other women? Depends which gospel you read. If with other women, how many of them were there? What were their names and which ones were they? It Depends which gospels you read. What did they see in the tomb? Did they see a man? Did they see two men or did they see an angel? Depends which gospel you read. My conclusion, these are not reliable historical accounts. There are too many discrepancies.
0: So, the question is, do these supposed discrepancies really make the Bible unreliable?
1: Now remember, this season we're looking at battleship apologetics, science, history, individual experience, and philosophy. So what do you think? Is there anything from history we can uncover?
0: Okay, let's start with historical apologetics. Historically, what do the scriptures say? 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, completely furnished unto all good works.
1: Uh, I don't know if you realize this, Marianne, but you just used the Bible to try to prove the Bible. Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay, well... Let me tell you what I've heard. I've heard people say you cannot trust the Bible because it was written by man. And if it was written by man, it can't be a a complete inspired word of God. So i got a little analogy to show you how silly that argument is. Ram, who wrote that? You did? No. The marker wrote that. Ah, uh-huh. That's the absurdity of that argument. I mean, to say that God couldn't use man is, is like is saying the all-powerful creator of the universe couldn't use mankind as his instrument to accomplish what he wanted done. And it really is a silly argument to say because man wrote the Bible, it cannot be inspired by God. God can use mankind to do whatever he wants.
0: You're right, Eric. Scripture was written by man by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Would that human element contribute to discrepancies? If so, that's a big problem, like Bart Ehrman believes.
1: Now, obviously nobody uh, alive today was alive when the Gospels were written. When the Gospels were written, there's nobody alive today. So we don't have a, uh, all we have is a written record from what the writers gave us. We don't have any eyewitnesses accounts. So who can help us with the truth of the Gospels?
0: A cold case homicide detective, that's who. Yeah. Today's guest is Jay Warner Wallace, a cold case homicide detective from Los Angeles. He he was a conscientious and vocal atheist for 35 years until he turned his detective skills on the claims of scripture. What he found wasn't errors. (sighs) He found marvelous eyewitness testimony about the truth and about God. Now he is a leading Christian apologist and author of Cold Case Christianity, homicide detective investigates the claims of the Gospels.
1: Jim has been a police officer for 25 years. He's appeared on Dateline and Fox and NBC and these high profile murder cases. I had the chance to sit down and interview him about uh, his book here and how he approaches the subject. Let's watch that interview.
0: Right after this break. Oh.
2: My name is Jay Warner Wallace, and I'm a cold case homicide detective. Cold case investigations can teach us a lot about how to investigate the claims of Christianity. Cold case detectives examine events in the distant past for which there are often no living eyewitnesses and little, if any, forensic evidence. The Gospels also record an event in the distant past for which there are no living eyewitnesses and no forensic evidence. The skills I've learned as a cold-case detective can help you determine if the Gospels are true. I'll teach you how to be a good detective. My new book, Cold Case Christianity, will provide you with 10 important principles known to all cold-case detectives. I want to give you tools to help you examine the evidence and draw the most reasonable inference. Cold Case Christianity will help you to take these 10 principles of homicide investigations and apply them to the New Testament Gospels. Are the Gospel writers reliable eyewitnesses? Can they be trusted? Has their testimony been corrupted over the years? What can we conclude about Jesus from the Gospel eyewitness accounts? I want you to come away with fresh insight and the ability to articulate what you discover as you read the Gospels. If you're a Christian, I want you to have the confidence of a good detective. If you're a skeptic, I want to give you something reasonable to think about. I hope you will read Cold Case Christianity to discover how evidence is examined and what this evidence tells us about Jesus. Take another look at the claims of Christianity from the perspective of a detective.
0: To order this book, visit us at creationstore.org.
1: Grab a pen, grab a paper, you're going to want to take some notes on this interview because my guest right now is Jay Warner Wallace. He's authored the book Cold Case Christianity, was a cold case homicide detective and with the police department for 26 years, and turned those skills into examining the truth of Scripture. Mr. Wallace, thank you so much for joining me today. I certainly appreciate it. Well,
4: I'm glad to be here. It's going to be fun.
1: Now, you uh, have done a lot of work, and I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the way you approached the evidence uh, when we look at history, when we look at uh, the idea of uncovering the truth of Scripture. Uh, We're doing a show on the contradictions in the Bible, and you cover those. You actually address those. Um, Tell us real quick what got you into this, and what made you want to write this book?
4: Well, I was just such an uh, adamant uh, skeptic and atheist for so many years, and I wasn't really willing to give the
1: Bible a read,
4: give the Bible really a, a fair shake. Uh, my my wife was somebody who was probably more willing to go to church than I was, and eventually, at the age of 35, uh, she got me to go to church. And I had I, gone a couple times before that, but never in a kind of evangelical church setting. So I had my first chance to kind of uh, hear a pastor speak about Jesus in a way that was compelling to me because he limited it, at least in this particular talk, to just the kind of wise uh, nature of Jesus as an ancient sage. And so I was willing to read the words of Jesus to see what he could say. Would he really be that wise? And I, I purchased a Bible and I started to sift through it. But the first thing I noticed, Eric, was that the the, the Gospels are not just a set of proverbs. They actually are accounts of, of that the people actually wrote as though these things occurred. So much like eyewitness accounts, I was able to kind of assess them given the skill set that I had as a detective.
1: Well, I love the way you've done that. We just on on the Creation Today show we're airing a clip of Bart Ehrman actually talking about the contradictions in the Gospels and how you can't trust the Bible anymore. He's one of the most well-known textual critics of our day, and you actually address some of his claims. Can you talk to us about that?
4: Well, I mean, this is the part of the problem is it that- people will see what uh, appear to be contradictions or variations between the gospel accounts. And I'll start to kind of look at that and say, well, wow, how can we trust any of it? But a couple of points I want to make. Number one, it certainly was clear to the first writers of these accounts and the first readers and compilers of these accounts that there were some variations between the accounts. It didn't shake them at the time, and it shouldn't shake us today. If you've ever worked with eyewitnesses, you know that no two eyewitnesses will ever report the same event the same way. As a matter of fact, in all of my professional work, I've never seen Seen that occur. And I'm actually, I want to embrace that as a detective. As a matter of fact, I usually tell the officers at the scene before I get there to separate the eyewitnesses before I arrive. So when I get there, I will have the variation I expect to see. I don't want them to collaborate and get all the variations worked out. I want to be the one to assess why there might be some variations between the accounts. It never means they're all lying to me. It simply means that they're bringing some a historical background of their own, a perspective of their own, into the account, and that's very, very natural. Remember, Bart was trained by another expert who has even a higher pedigree than he, Bruce Metzger, who was probably one of the finest biblical scholars of the 20th century. And looking at the exact same facts, nothing is new, nothing has changed. Those exact same facts, Bruce came to a very different conclusion about these uh, these accounts. In fact, Bruce died as a very committed Christian. So how you approach the evidence sometimes colors the way you see the evidence. Don't let, don't let that shake you if you're looking at skeptics and different critics of the Bible.
1: Now your book goes through a list of several criteria that you can use to examine the Scripture and these are criteria that you've learned from being a cold case homicide detective go through some of these or what are some of your favorites in the book i mean uh, you don't have to have all the knowledge i i I enjoy just going through this list of of items and i'm going that makes sense oh when you think about it like that hey uh, you know examine these witnesses find out what's you know what's credible what are some of your a lot of this is
4: just uh, skills and techniques that we learn as a detective. I mean, one of the things we do is we, we gain a certain set of skills in order to solve cases where you've got something that's written in the distant past, and now these eyewitnesses are no longer available to us. They've died in the last 20 years. Not only have they died, The people who wrote the reports of their eyewitness accounts have also passed away. So now we've got to assess a a, a report from somebody who's no longer with us about somebody who's no longer with us. That's very much what we do in the Gospels. And there are some things you can learn. But most importantly, there are four criteria that we use to establish eyewitness reliability. The first one is simple. Were they really there? Can we put, place them at the scene? Number two, uh, can they be corroborated in some way or verified by some outside source? Number three, have they been honest and accurate over time, or have they kind of changed their story? And number four, do they have a bias that would cause them to lie to us? And we, we actually dig through those four areas and discovered that those four things are credible about this witness. They were there. They haven't changed their story over time. They can be corroborated. They aren't biased. Well, then we're to accept their testimony as reliable. And so I simply applied that template to the Gospels to see if they would pass in those four areas. And I think when you get done doing that, and I was a skeptic at 35, I wasn't looking for Christianity to be true. Now, to be honest, I wasn't trying to disprove Christianity either, okay? Okay. But I was just interested as an investigator about how much I could determine. At the end of that process, maybe about six months, I really felt that we could trust these accounts. They're reliable. And here's the problem, Eric. If they're reliable, they describe something very, very pivotal in history, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, which we celebrate at Easter. So this is the thing that compelled me to take the resurrection seriously.
1: Wow. And so did you understand as you researched uh, the scriptures, even as a skeptic, that everything hinges on this one key issue, the resurrection of Christ?
4: Yeah, well, I think, if, you know, if you read through to the letters of Paul, and I didn't do that at first, or in Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll talk about how important the resurrection is as a piece of evidence. But I knew, as a skeptic who was a philosophical naturalist, I mean, a committed philosophical naturalist, I knew that the thing for me that was a deal killer was the presence of the supernatural in the, in the Gospels. So I was going to have to really be able to trust that these were reliable accounts before I'd buy off the supernatural aspects. But again, the thing, Eric, we're trying to examine here is whether or not the supernatural is reasonable. Is God's existence reasonable? Is the resurrection reasonable? Are all the, the miracles that are worked in the Bible, are they reasonable? And the re- and since that's the goal of our investigation, you cannot enter With this presupposition that nothing supernatural is reasonable, that's the thing we're trying to determine. So you have to suspend your philosophical naturalism just long enough to assess these accounts fairly. And that's what I tried to do, realizing that a lot of this is about presuppositions. It's what you walk into the room holding in your heart. Are you willing to give it an honest shake? Are you willing to suspend your doubt long enough to see that the most reasonable inference, if you simply will suspend your bias against the supernatural, is that Jesus did rise from the dead? And that truth changes everything.
1: Wow. So, really, a lot of the skeptics that we encounter, it is their skepticism that's actually preventing them to opening themselves up to the truth.
4: Well, again, said, ask yourself the question. If you're skeptical about this and you're watching this show, ask yourself the question, what are we trying to investigate here? If you're trying to investigate whether or not, you know, who, who committed this murder? We don't walk in the room with the, with certainty about who committed the murder, because mm. if you do, you're liable to not find the right guy, or never find the right guy. Uh, you know, you find get the wrong guy because you already entered with the solution. the, the answer is already in your mind before you start asking any questions. You can't do that in any investigation. And so, when you read through the scripture for the first time as a skeptic, the thing you're really kind of struggling with and trying to investigate is whether or not. The supernatural is reasonable. Therefore, you cannot walk in with a bias against the supernatural. That's the one area you have to be careful about, You if you investigate scripture.
1: Well, I love that point because I see that over and over as I deal with people. They sure. seem to, the, the philosophical naturalist eliminates anything other than the material world. And then they don't reasonably say, well, now I've got to get rid of justice. i got to get rid of logic. i got to get rid of all these other things we use that are not natural. Okay, hey, how about this? What if all the gospel accounts did align and everything matched up perfectly? Is that going to silence the skeptics? Well,
4: do, do you think it would silence you? I mean, I think it would cause more concern than, than answer. I mean, most of us would say if everything is word, Every place you see in Scripture where, say, Luke has quoted Mark, has used Mark as a source, that's where skeptics complain. Oh, look, you can't trust that because they're the same in both accounts, or they're almost all, all the same in both accounts, this little passage. See, that's the problem. If we had four identical accounts, word for word, people would accuse us of collusion or the original authors of collusion. What I love about scripture is the first assembler, and by the way, this is happening in the very first century. Those very first Christians didn't try to sort these problems out. They left the alleged apparent contradictions right in place because they knew they weren't contradictions. They knew these were what you should expect if four people report the same event.
1: Okay, I wanna talk to you more, but I've gotta throw it back to the Creation Today show. Now, can you stick around for an extended interview? Absolutely. You, you guys have got to go check out uh, the book Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal resource as you examine The truth of Scripture.
0: Do you find yourself jumping from site to site or waiting through thousands of search results to find answers about God's Word and His creation? Well, no more. Searchcreation.org brings the top creation and apologetic websites together into one search engine while ignoring the thousands of sites that push lies and half-truths. So if you have questions about molecular chemistry, deep space, dinosaurs, or how to defend your faith in a godless world, visit us at searchcreation.org. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com creationtoday creation today.
3: It's time for Science and Scripture with Eric and Ben, here on Creation Today. Welcome back to The Creation Today Show, where we are doing a science experiment. And we're going to blow something up,
1: right, Eric? Those Mm -hmm. are the
3: best kind.
1: Those are the best kind. But we're not gonna blow something up this time. Actually, for this time, uh, for this experiment, I need some money. Do you have, I, don't, I didn't bring my wallet. Do you have any cash on you? Yeah, I have money, but I'm a little nervous what you're going to use it for. No, i this one, is got a one, a five, and a 10. Nice, that's about uh, $20 to the government there, sweet. Actually, this is the new government nickel right here. Here's what we're gonna do. I want you to take this dollar, and fold it in half right here, uh, and I promise you we'll get this dollar back, so don't worry. I want you to hold that edge right there. Okay. Okay, we're gonna leave that little dangly part dangling right there, and here's what you're gonna do. I got some magnets here for you of a stack of really powerful, okay. really powerful magnets. I'm going to take this stack and we're going to actually show that uh, dollar bills are actually what they call ferrous. Okay. What does ferrous. that mean? That means you're going right on the Ferris wheel, right? That is not what that means. That but means they're Ferris is ferrous? They're not Pharisees. No, <laughs> it actually means that they have iron in them and uh, the, the iron. Ferris wheels are aluminum, aren't they? Ooh, that's a good question. Somebody check that out and get <laughs> back to us. There is actually iron in the ink that they use to print these bills. Okay. And that helps prevent counterfeiting. So actually, when you take your magnet... Oh, yeah, see? Wow. The, mag, the dollar bill is actually attracted right there to that iron. That is really cool. It's not it significant, but it definitely... Is like if I put There's my finger a to it, it's not There's just a little bit of iron up, inside that ink. Well, th- what this does is if, if you're trying to, you know, cool. put a printed dollar bill through one of the machines that gets the quarters back and yep. stuff, it won't work because it doesn't pass the magnetic test. All right. Well, thank you very much well, hang for on. First, showing. Well, let me, let me see your dollar here. Okay. <laughs> I'll I, I tell you what. Let's just leave the five and the ten. Okay. Let me just take your dollar. Here's what I want to do. I want to es- extract the iron from this bill to actually show it to our viewers. You're okay, okay. with that, right? As long and as I, you put it all back together again, like well, Bumpy I, I will give you your dollar back. That I guarantee. But in order to get the iron out, we're going to put it in my little magic bullet blender right here. I'm going to take it and give it about, about a minute and a half on the blender. All right. Now, through the power of television, I've already got one of your dollar bills right here that I took out of your pants earlier. I won't tell you how that happened. Uh, put Stick out your hand right there. There you go. I'm just going to set that right there. This has a ground-up dollar bill. Eric Hoven, the pickpocket. Yes. Uh, Now, by the way, some people wonder, isn't it illegal to deface currency? I mean, you've destroyed, obviously, $2. What are you doing? i just got to leave the show. This (laughs) is
3: crazy. What have you
1: done, Eric? This is not illegal. It's not illegal to deface currency if you're not going to put it back into circulation. And I... Don't think I can put that back into circulation. In fact,
3: we've raised the value of currency by removing some of it.
1: Hey, that's true. So we're going to put the magnets on top. Stick your other hand right on top of that. Turn it over. All right. And now just kind of slosh it back and forth. All right. The magnets are going to attract any of the iron that's in that ink. Okay. okay? So it's actually going to attract the ink as well because the iron is so, you know, thoroughly mixed in with that ink. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Okay. All right. So take your hand off. Let's take a look. Take the magnets off. I can see it. There it is, look at all all that iron. All the
3: ink and then the the iron inside of the ink.
1: So you can actually move that around with your magnet, you can actually see the iron inside the ink there. Well, not only has Eric destroyed
3: my dollar bills, uh, but we've done something. We have extracted, we have separated the ink and iron from the rest of the dollar bill. And you know, there's a spiritual truth. Jesus, when he was here on earth, talked about how one day he would separate the wheat from the tares, those that really believed and those that didn't. Eric, do you know that 71% of Americans claim to be Christian? Wow. But my my question is: Is are all those people that say, "Hey, I'm a Christian," are you really a christian Mm. there was a guy that thought he was a christian his name was nicodemus and in john chapter three he comes to jesus and jesus has an important message for nicodemus he says nicodemus you must be born again and in some of the most famous verse in all the bible is john 3 16 probably where jesus says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm. A real Christian is someone that has turned from their sins and turned to Jesus Christ's death and resurrection as the substitute for their sins and has believed on Jesus alone for salvation. And uh, one day those who have really believed will be separated from those who just say they believe, Eric. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a good thought as we think about separating the Pharisees <laughs> Iron from the, the rest iron. of the dollar bill.
1: And looking at how much ferrous is in there, how much iron is in there, I'd say, hmm, maybe there's the same amount in America. I don't know. <laughs> no. Well, I certainly not a whole hope lot. not. <laughs> hey, if, let's do another science experiment Yeah. since we're going. Let's find out how much iron is in the $10 bill and how much is in the $5 yeah, bill. Yeah, Eric, I'll that just, is
3: a really well, great idea, yeah, but no, I'm just going to, I hey, think ben, I'm done for today. Ben, this is, that'll be, good, be great Thanks experiment. so much, Eric. This would be a great Catch experiment. Catch you next time.
1: Hey, you guys have any money?
0: Are there any alleged contradictions in Scripture about nature? Deuteronomy 14.7 is one that critics bring up. The camel, the hare, the coney. For they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore they are unclean to you. To chew the cud means that they regurgitate their food and rechew it again for greater nutrient extraction. Ruminant animals, like camels, regurgitate their food, but hares and conies, technically they don't. Hares and conies, like bunny rabbits, are coprophagous animals. They don't chew their cud, but they chew their poo. Their soft dung pellets are eaten to extract whatever nutrients were not absorbed the first time. Critics say that this is a contradiction. But let's apply some cold case Christianity detective tools to this case. Do they share common details? Yes, both ruminant and coprophagous animals rechew partially digested food. What's the context? The Hebrew verb used here technically does not mean to regurgitate. It means to bring up. It's actually a catch-all verb used in a variety of ways in scripture meaning to move something from one place to another. Don't confuse imprecision with error. Just because the Hebrew verb is not precise does not mean that it is an error. Maintain a fair attitude. The verb is broad enough to include both ruminant and coprophagous animals. So what's the verdict? Not guilty.
1: So, rabbits really do chew the cud according to the Bible. Mm -hmm. Even though our modern classification system says that they don't, in the Bible they do, because they eat their stuff,
0: yeah. Yes. Well, here are a few things to keep in mind when you come up against biblical contradictions.
1: Supposed contradictions.
0: Supposed contradictions. One is context. What is the context of this account?
1: Also, keep in mind perspective versus the eyewitness account. What kind of perspective are we talking about?
0: Are the accounts complementary or are they conflicting? Do they work together? Are they cohesive or do they contradict each other?
1: And make sure and look for the common details. Some people are trying so hard to trip the Bible up, they'll find something or you know, impose something that's not really there.
0: Was there even an opportunity for collusion? Did they Were they able to swap stories before it was recorded?
1: And don't confuse imprecision, imprecision mm-hmm. with error. That's another important one, like we saw with the rabbits.
0: Mm-hmm. And then maintain a fair attitude.
1: Now, most people that I hear, Marianne, that will say, hey, there's contradictions in the Bible, they would consider themselves atheists. My question for you atheists is, if atheism is true, that is, if God did not exist, What's wrong with contradictions? So it sounds to me like they're arguing against the Bible using the idea of contradictions, even though there aren't any, Mm -hmm. but the idea of contradictions is a biblical idea because a contradiction amounts to lying and God doesn't want us to lie. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we shouldn't have contradictions. That's where that law comes from, okay? Anyway, hey, if you got a question for us, even if you disagree, we'd love to hear from you. Where can they email us at?
0: That's questions at creationtoday.org. Send them in right now.
1: Right now.
2: Get the ammunition you need to defend your faith by visiting our website for up-to-date content, attending one of our live events, and shopping online at creationstore.org. We are Creation Today.